Okay. If you have Bibles with you, please open up to Romans chapter 12. So this morning I'm going to conclude my sermon series on uh, living love. Uh, this will be the sixth in the series. Um, I've told you that in Charlottetown Community Church that we are we're in a process, a pursuing love process from 1 Corinthians 14.1 where it says to pursue love. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And there's two parts to that pursuing love phase. And the first part is that we live love, that we know what it's like to live secure, solid, unshakable in our Heavenly Father's loving affection. That we know that we're loved by Him, that it's no longer in question. I find great comfort in Scripture when it says that nothing can separate us from His love. Astonishing. And that the second part of pursue love from 1 Corinthians 14.1 is that we would love one another. That it would be the horizontal to our vertical relationship with God. And so this series of messages has been on that emphasis, on the horizontal plane. That we would live love. And my point is this. I believe that if we can live secure in the Father's love, and we can effectively love one another, that it creates the best soil, the healthiest environment, to be a people who eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Now, a lot of you guys in the room, you've been Christians a long time. Anybody here ever had an experience with spiritual gifts or prophetic gifts where it was really messy? Raise your hand. Yeah, me too. I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. And usually what's missing, when it gets good and bad and ugly, this is what's missing. It's the love part that's missing. It's either the Father's love isn't being communicated effectively, or we're not loving one another effectively. So that's why since September, since I've been here, I've emphasized the love part. I think if we can get that part right, it's going to make the exploring and studying and experimenting, the eagerly desiring spiritual gifts part, healthier. A little less messy. It's still going to be messy. But a little less messy but we'll have a lot more grace for one another as we go through it. And so today I want to finish up that, this horizontal emphasis. And so in the first in the series, Live Love, we looked at the greatest obstacle to living love. I believe this is the number one obstacle in church, and it's our need to be right. Boy, we have a hard time being wrong. I've told you that it's more important to love than it is to be right, that if being right comes at the expense of love, the price is too high. I am tired. I am sick and tired of paying that price sacrificing relationship for my rightness. It ain't worth it. I would rather appear wrong and be loving than to hold on to my rightness and lose friendship. Doesn't that make sense? I've lost too many friends over it. I don't want to go there anymore. You know why it's more important to love than it is to be right? Because you can be wrong. Have you ever been wrong? I've been wrong. I've been doing this a long time. I've been wrong on my journey. If there's the, the possibility... That I could be wrong, I ought to value the relationship more than my need to be right. In the second in the series, I said the only way that we can live love is that we got to live loved. Scripture says that we love because he first loved us. If we skip that part of him loving us, I can draw from empty well. I got nothing to give you. But if he's loved me, when I've experienced the Father's love, when I've been touched by his mercy and his grace, I have found that love and mercy and grace flow much more freely from me to other people. When I consider his kindness toward me, 
It's easy to be kind to my brothers and sisters. In the third in the series, we looked at John 15, the vine and the branches, and we looked at the comparison between process and production. I said it's a whole lot easier to love people if you can see them as being in process instead of judging what they produce in their lives. In the fourth in the series, very practical. Very practical way to live love. We looked at forgiveness. We looked at Jesus' story, his uh, parable of forgiveness in Matthew 18. And then I described for you, and I hope this was helpful, because when I, when I learned this, it was extraordinarily helpful to me. That I told you what forgiveness is and what it isn't. That forgiveness isn't denial that things happen. It isn't repression. That forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Two separate things. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness and trust are two separate things. Now, on the path to trust... On the path to reconciliation, forgiveness is part of the process. But it's the beginning part. Forgiveness you do by yourself, unilaterally. Reconciliation takes at least two people. They both got to be willing. And trust is a whole new ballgame. I can forgive someone. I can cancel their debt, rip up the IOU, and choose not to loan them any more money. Right? They have to prove themselves trustworthy for me to extend further debt to them. So there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. You can forgive someone for hurting you, but that doesn't mean that you trust them right away. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. When I learned these things, when I learned that trust and reconciliation were not necessarily part of forgiveness, because it was hard for me to make that leap. For a long time as a Christian, I thought if I forgave someone, that meant that we we were instantly reconciled and I had to trust them. And I was having a hard time doing both. Because sometimes they didn't want to be reconciled. And most of the time, they did nothing to garner trust. But when I learned that I can forgive them, and that reconciliation, the trust, or a process, that really set me free. Practical way we can love other people, and in the process, love ourselves, is to forgive. I told you that, I told you what love isn't, I told you what love is. It's a choice, it's a decision. Sometimes forgiveness is a a decision I have to make again and again and again and again. I think it's what Jesus meant when he said the 70 times 7. (laughs) Right? And sometimes it's for the one sin. Depending on how how badly it impacted me. Love's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. It's love in action. That's what forgiveness is. Two weeks ago, we didn't meet last week because of snow, but two weeks ago, In the fifth in the series, I gave you another very practical expression of living love. And it was encouragement. And what is encouragement? Encouragement is putting courage in people. It's encouraging them. I said, why? Because why do we need to encourage people? Because we live in a very discouraging world. It doesn't seem to be the, the default position of the culture that we live in. And I tell you what, I don't think I've ever met anyone whose encouragement container was filled to overflowing. Almost everyone I meet could use a little bit more encouragement. And the other thing that we looked at Scripture, we looked at the Israelites entering the Promised Land. And the one thing they lacked that kept them from entering into the Promise was courage. They had the presence of God, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They had the provision of God. They had the promise of God. 
And still, they didn't enter into the promised land because 10 of the 12 spies lacked courage. We need encouragement. We need to encourage one another if we're going to fulfill our destiny. It's a very simple, easy, practical, inexpensive way uh, to live love. The power of an encouraging word. And today I'd like to um, finish up this series, um, uh, the sixth in the series, with honor. And different ways that we can live love. And I want to touch on three three different ways. And that's listening and kindness and generosity. Beginning next week, I'm going to begin a short message, a series on mercy. Maybe, maybe two messages, three, depending on how much content I come up with. And then from there, I want to go into looking at um, spiritual gifts. So you can keep that in prayer. So if you are still open to Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, you can follow along as I read. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I thank you for your word, for the truth and the power that's in your word. Lord, I pray that your word would have its full impact and effect on us today. And Lord, make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? When I use a main text, I, um, I like to read it in context. I like to read the verses around it. But I really wanted to emphasize on verse 10 this morning. That says, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. How can we honor one another? How can we, as the, the members of Charlottetown Community Church, how can we honor one another in love? Well, I want to take... I want to take a look at three practical ways that we can honor one another in love. And the first is listening. Listening can be both a practical and powerful way to live love and to honor one another in love. John, uh, excuse me, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Interesting. Quick to listen and slow to speak. That doesn't necessarily define our culture very well, does it? I'd say it, didn't, it certainly didn't define the culture in New York. People in New York are quick to speak and they're slow to listen. They'll, they'll speak over one another. And it seems like everything is contentious there. You can ask somebody to pass the salt and it's contentious. Give me the salt! <laughs> it's like, I remember when we first moved back, it's like, nay, I forgot about all this. I'm not sure I could adjust to this. Everything's contentious. The way they drive, forget about it. It's certainly not a culture where they're quick to listen and slow to speak. Just the opposite. What's your experience? What's it been like in your life? How would you define yourself? I'm not judging you. I'm just asking you to do self-evaluation. Do you think you're quick to listen and slow to speak? Or would the opposite more be true? It's an ancient Greek philosopher who said, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. I think the default position in our culture is the opposite of what Scripture says. I think in our culture we're more quick to speak and slow to listen. If there's an upside to that, it's made listening quite valuable. And it really is a, a very practical way to love another person. Now, I think there, you can look this up online and, and people have all different terminology that they use and they break it down in a variety of levels. But this is my breakdown of what I see is four different levels of listening. See if there, any of them are familiar to you. The first level of listening really is non-listening. Right? Someone is speaking, but you're not hearing a word they're saying, right? Remember the Charlie Brown cartoons? Anytime an adult spoke, it was like, wah, 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 wah. Somebody's talking to you, and they might as well be saying, wah, 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 wah. You don't understand anything. You're not listening. You're there. Your eyes might be open. Your head might be shaking. But you're not hearing it, right? I'm not the only one who's done that, right? I've never done it to you, but, but you know, there's been times. <laughs> It's kind of like men when we're watching a football game or a hockey game. My kids used to tease me. I, I would so zone into that football game. I would be so enthralled in what's going on in the game. They would speak it to me, and I would have zero response. And then somehow, like, like on a time delay, the words would filter into my brain. And about five seconds later, I'd turn to them, I'd say, what? <laughs> and it became the family joke that they would look at that every once in a while, look at me and say, what? Because... <laughs> of my delayed response, for my non-listening. So that's the first level of listening. That's not a very loving kind of listening. The second is surface listening. And it's not a whole lot better than non-listening. We give the gratuitous head nod and the occasional mm-hmm. <laughs> we give the appearance of listening without really actually listening. Have you ever been on a phone call with somebody and on the computer at the same time, right? You're kind of, you're partially, you're giving a little bit of listening, but your, your attention is given to something else, right? I mean, this is real life. This is what we do. And then there's, there's a third category of listening. So we have the non-listening, the surface listening. And then what I call the on-ramp listening. 
And you're listening to what the other person is saying, but you're looking for your opportunity to speak. You're looking for an on-ramp. How can I interject what I really want to say into the conversation? Either to agree with them or contradict them or one-up them. You know what I mean when I say one-up. One-upmanship, right? Years ago, I worked in, uh, we planted a church in West Virginia. I worked for, uh, for an aircraft company. Grumman later became Northrop Grumman. And when I started the job, I was a bench mechanic. I'd eventually become a senior material coordinator. But when I started, I mean, I'm just making detailed parts on the bench. And the way the, the shop was set up, I, my seat was over here, and to the left of me was another bench mechanic. And then there was a table with a material coordinator um, just off the end of our bench, uh, like a desk area. And, and so the three of us were there all day, eight hours. Of course, there's conversation going back and forth. Well, the guy who sat in the middle, can't even remember his name anymore. But it did not matter what topic we came up with. I don't care how outrageous the story he was going to beat you. He was going to have the bigger fish. He was going to have the greatest story. So we, got, we just got sick of Tyler. So this one day, me and the guy who was on the other end, we, we got together and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to get him. We're going to tell him a story that we went to space camp. Okay? And they let us actually sit in the seats of the space shuttle. Okay? So we made up this whole story going back and forth. And don't you know, he tells us that, guess what? He went to space camp too. And when he went, they let him sit in the seat of the space shuttle, and they lit the engines, he actually said. <laughs> and they fired the engines. We're looking at this like, dude, come on. <laughs> That's part of on-ramp listening, right? Can you one-up the person? Can you tell the better story? Right, so those first three levels of listening... That's not, really, that's not really loving the other person. It's more a selfish kind of listening. But then there's the fourth level of listening. And that's the no strings attached listening. We listen for the sake of the other person. We offer them our full, undivided attention. Just those two things alone are profoundly loving to another person. By themselves, it could be extraordinarily loving and healing. We offer commentary or ask questions only to keep the focus on them and let them have more of an opportunity to share the things that are important to them or that are on their heart. This type of listening honors the speaker, and it's a very practical way to live love. Now, one portion of my job is to offer pastoral counsel to people. I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a mental health counselor. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But I do offer pastoral counsel. I do offer ministry. I tell them I'm a minister, not a counselor. And so there's a difference there. But i got to tell you, I bet you 80% of the pastoral counsel that I give to people is that I sit and I listen to them. The overwhelming majority of people I listen to they know what they need to do. The answers are already inside of them. They just need to talk it out with somebody. They need somebody who will ask them questions. They'll have them think a little bit further and go a little bit deeper. Listening. It's an amazing way to honor people. It's an amazing way to love them. You know, some people are just verbal processors. They need to think out loud. They, they, don't, really, they don't even really 
need me to say anything. I just need to continue to give them the floor and let them continue to speak. So that's, that's a practical way that we can honor and love one another. Second category, random acts of kindness. What is kindness? Well, it's a description of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Scripture says that love is kind. It's listed among the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. In Colossians 3, we're exhorted to clothe one another with kindness. Colossians 3, 12 rather says, Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness, random acts of kindness, are a very practical way to live love. Google's dictionary defines kindness as the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. A kind act. And I've found over the years that kindness is extraordinarily effective when matched with the leading of the Holy Spirit. When the, you ever have those little nudges from God? I'm not saying like an angel shows up and you get a golden fax from heaven. You just get that little nudge in your heart from God to do something for another person. To follow through with those nudges can be very, very loving, very honoring toward other people. And here's just a few examples I've seen in my own life and in friends of mine. One random act of kindness is you could pick up the tab for someone else. Pay the toll for the car that's behind you. That rocks somebody's world, man. Or if you're in a drive-thru, pay for the meal or for the coffee in the person that's in the car behind you. I mean, there's no string attached. It's a random act. You don't know them. They don't know you. It will, it'll bless their whole day. They'll, talk, they'll tell their friends about all day. You believe what happened to me today. I was in the drive-thru. I was driving through Tim's. And the car in front of me, I don't even know who these people are. They paid for my drink. Pay for another customer's meal in a restaurant. No strings attached. Makes their whole day. Other ways of doing random acts of kindness. I have found that my mother was right. So many of the things that she taught us. She had three little boys. One right after another. I think mom was pregnant for like three straight years. <laughs> There's two years and 11 months between me and my two brothers. And she raised us to be little gentlemen. And these are, these are costless, you know, absolutely free ways that we can be randomly kind to another person. Hold the door open for another person. Open the car door for someone else. When we first moved to the church in New York, it's been my custom. And I don't think I do it 100% of the time, but most of the time I'll open the door for Nadine. And so we're leaving church. The weeknight meetings, we're leaving the church, and we go out to the car, I open the door, and all the wives noticed that I was holding the door open for Nadine. And didn't the husbands hear about it afterwards? <laughs> How come Tom opens Nadine's door? You don't open my door. 
pull the door open. Pull out her chair. My mother taught us when we were little boys to pull the chair out for her if we were out at a restaurant somewhere. And I can remember me and my brothers wrestling with who was going to pull out the chair for mom this time. You know? It's a simple, random, inexpensive act of kindness that honors another person. Say please. Say thank you. Oh, here's a big one. Let another person in, in line ahead of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're in Sobeys, right? You're in Superstore. And you really want to get out of there. But you let somebody else go in front of you. Return the shopping cart <laughs> to the little bin where the shopping carts go. Somebody has to do that. Somebody's got to corral all those things, right? Be patient with the elderly. I don't know, some weeks ago, Nadine and I were out, and there was a good amount of snow on the ground, and there was a woman who'd gotten out of a car, and it couldn't have been five steps from the car to the restaurant door, but it was slick on the ground, and the snow was a little bit piled up there, and you could tell that she was nervous. And all Nadine did was extend her hand and help that lady walk a little bit more confidently from the curb to the restaurant door. It so blessed her heart. Cost Nadine nothing. I think it's good to be patient with the elderly. Because we're all going to be old someday. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. Or moms with kids. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been online, let's say Walmart, and there's mom with three or four kids, and she's doing the best she can to get to checkout and corral all the kids at the same time, and you know that the youngest is screaming bloody murder in her arms, right? So I'm a big bald, scary-looking guy. There's not a whole lot that I can do to interact without making the situation worse, but I can pray, and I do, and I can be patient, and I am, and just not having to deal with an, another annoying customer while you're doing the best you can to corral your kids and get to the checkout line by itself could be a random act of kindness. Now, if you're a mom and you're not as intimidating as I can appear, well, then you can actually help her. Hey, can I, can I help somehow? You know? Maybe I think about my mom when I think about those things. But random acts of kindness. Here's another thing. You can be nice to the trainees. I don't care where you go, if it's the bank, if it's out of the restaurant, if it's going through a drive-thru, some point in your life, you're going to have to deal with the trainee. And I think it's part of, of the call of God in my life. I believe that part of what he's called me to do is train and equip people. And it is amazing how many times we get to train A. How many times we'll be sitting at the restaurant and the girl comes, she has a little name tag on, and underneath her name it says trainee or I'm new. Right? So we encourage her. He, you know, she could be messing everything up. And Nadine will say to her, honey, is this your first day on the job? She goes, yeah, it is. She says, you're doing great. You do just fine. And you can see it builds her up, right? She needs a little bit of encouragement right then. She'll get better. Maybe not during this serving, but she'll get better. <laughs> now, because of health concerns I've had over my life, I've been, I've been stuck with needles more times than I care to remember, more times than I can count. I can't tell you how many times I've had IVs stuck somewhere or another. And I can't tell you how many times, in the midst of putting that needle in my hand or in my arm, I hear, I hear the, uh, 
the technician or the, the nurse giggle and say, I've never done this before. <laughs> or they get, oh, lordy, 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 this is what you gift me and called me to do, and I'm patient with them. Nadine tells me she would not be as nice, you know. But be nice to the trainees. It could be a doctor's office. It could be a coffee shop. So many times Nadine and I just look each other when, at each other when that happens now, we just smile. It costs nothing to be kind to that person. And of course they're not going to do it perfectly. They're new. But a kind word, a random act of kindness to a trainee, then tip them really good too. Because they wouldn't be doing this job if they were trained to do something where they could get paid better, right? It blesses them. It blesses their whole day. It encourages them. And again, at some point in our lives, we've all been the new guy or we will be the new guy. How about this? When, you, when you're stuck, quote-unquote, dealing with the trainee, treat them better than you would want to be treated. That's a random act of kindness. That's loving them, no strings attached. That's something we could do. That's a way to honor and love another person. And we don't need to have wubba-wubba supernatural spiritual gifts to do it. Right? We'd just be nice. Random act of kindness. Another random act of kindness is food. Man, I think food's a great way to be kind to other people. We planted a church in West Virginia. One of the things we did is we decided, and we were a pretty small church when we started out, was that we would, we would take, um, each family would take their best known homemade cookie recipe. And they'd make a big platter of cookies, like three dozen cookies. And then we took all those platters and we delivered them to all the police stations and to all the fire stations in town. And we just, hey, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for taking care of us. Yeah. Blew their minds. Yeah. A couple of dozen bunches of cookies. Not really hard way. Right? Not, it's not all that expensive <laughs> as far as time, energy, or money. But it so blessed them. They were shocked each time we walked in with those. Food can be a great way. I've spent a lot of time you know, in infusion rooms and oncology departments. And Nadine and I have learned that it's a good idea <laughs> to bless the oncology nurses. So we'd come in with cookies or bagels or donuts or chocolate. Oh, my goodness, chocolate's always a big hit. And we'd give it to them when we first start. We'd bring something in each week whenever we get a treatment. It would blow them away. They took really good care of me. <laughs> I would reap for what I sown. And you guys do food really well, too. When we got here for two weeks, you provided meals for us where we unpacked and got settled in. That was such a great act of kindness, tangible, practical way to love and honor Nadine when we got here. We didn't have to worry about either shopping or preparing a meal. We could just empty boxes. And it helped us get settled in. To bring a meal to a neighbor or to a sick friend is a great way to love them with kindness, to honor them. Or kindness. Here's, here's another random act of kindness. If none of those have lit your fire, consider this. How about sending someone a note and to thank them for who they've been in your life? A text message or Facebook message is good. 
And email is better. If you really want to rock their world, sit down and, and handwrite them a letter and mail it to them. I'll tell you what, they'll frame it. They'll keep it in a, in a special place. Right? Well, of course, she has a stamp. So these are ways that we can be honoring and loving toward one another with kindness in very tangible, very practical ways. If these things were happening in our midst all the time, would it raise the level of love, the atmosphere of love in our midst? It couldn't hurt. It's not going to make it worse, right? You can only make it better. Another random act of kindness? Give somebody a break. How about you have a friend in your life and they hurt you? Or they just do something foolish. They make a mistake. They rub you the wrong way. How about you just give them a pass? Yeah. I'm not saying somebody who's done it again and again and again and again. And they run over you with their car, threw it in reverse, boom, hit you again on the way back. You know, a good friend. They just did something stupid. How about you just give them a get-out-of-jail-free get card? Right? That's a kind way. Preserve a relationship. And it costs very little. So we've looked at, um, we've looked at kindness. Right? And we looked at listening. There's practical ways that we can live love. And one more. I want to look at generosity. I want to look at it differently than you, you think I'm going to. But 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. So can we all agree that it's a good biblical and Christian practice to be generous with our finances? Can we agree to that? All right, good. I don't want to focus on that. With that settled, I'd like to skip that and talk about being generous with something that's vastly more precious and costly to us than our money. That's our time. Right? It's our time. You know, all this technology we have, right, our my iPhone, my iPad, my computer is supposed to make my life easier so I have more time. I don't know. It hasn't worked out for way, that way for me. I just do more and more and more. And maybe it's made doing some things easier, but it hasn't provided me with extra time or extra free time. Most of us would probably agree that we're much busier than we really want to be. We wish our lives were simpler. So if we, can, if we can be generous with our time, wow, that's really giving something that's precious, that's, that's costly to another person. One of the busiest times in my life was when Nadine and I were planting a church in, in West Virginia, Crossroads Church in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I'm working a full-time job, a high-pressure secular job. Um, that was when I worked at the aircraft company. I was a material coordinator for most of it. A lot of stress, a lot of schedule, cost, all kind of stuff. Pressure doing that job. And I'm working full-time planting this church, Crossroads Church. So I lived by my calendar. Back in the day, I didn't have the calendar on a phone or, or my computer. Everything was on the daytime. Right? Anybody remember the daytimers, right? I had the book that would fold. 
There you go. And I had, I had that size and I had the bigger one for a while. I carried my Bible and that with me everywhere that I went. I lived by this calendar. And um, so much so, and my life was so jam-packed with activity that I began to schedule time with my family in my daytime. And I had someone get very upset with me. He says, you have to schedule time for your family in your daytime? I said, dude, it's a whole lot better than them not being in there at all. Because I had so many things pulling on my life that if I did not carve out time for them, something else was going to fill that time. And um, I didn't want that to happen. I told him it was better for them to be in there than not be in there. So this is what I did. Now, I just, this is what worked for me, and I throw this out as an example for you. Maybe some of you might find a piece of this helpful. But you remember Promise Keepers? Anybody remember when Promise Keepers was a hot thing uh, some years back, a men's movement? Boy, it was powerful. I went to a bunch of the big events that they had, and I remember coming back from one of those events thinking to myself, you know, how valuable my family is to me. And this is in my West Virginia days. This is doing the pastor thing and the, and the real job at the same time. And I decided that what I wanted, what I wanted was to have, I want to have connection with my family daily and weekly and monthly. And again, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm living by my daytimer, right? And so daily, how can I have daily connection with my family? Well, dinner time is the best option. It was one of the few moments in the day where all four of us were in the house at the same time. And so how long does dinner last? I mean, maybe 15 minutes, probably takes Nadine longer to cook the meal than ever for us to consume it sitting at the table. But I bet you for those years, for those five or six years, um, time period, seven years, we probably averaged six meals, six dinners together as a family a week over that time. And so daily, it gave me an opportunity to look my kids in the face and say, how was your day? <laughs> Anything exciting happened in school? You know, we would sit at the table. We would not sit watching television when we ate dinner because we wanted to focus on one another. And so we had those 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe. And you know, sometimes the best I could get out of my son was, oh, you know, I get one-syllable responses. But at least he heard me ask the question. And we were together. And then we instituted uh, weekly, family fun night. Boy, they were not happy at all. We decided we were going to do family fun night. Oh, this is stupid. Right? I don't want to do this. I want to be with my friends. But, you know, eventually they came along, and this was the key. I wasn't forcing them to do what I wanted to do. We said, look, we're going to enter into your world for this night. And sometimes we would play games, but most of the time... And wound up becoming family movie night. And we would let the kids choose. One night, one week it was Lisa's turn, another week it was Tommy's turn. And, and we'd spend an evening together, a couple of hours, we'd watch the movie, we would do it together, and there would be interaction among us. And we did that for a long time. So we had the daily time, we had a, we had a weekly time together. And then as their father, I wanted to have a monthly connection with them. Now, again... I'm living by my daytime. I have a crazy busy schedule. And I only had two kids, so this was doable for me. And I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just saying this is the creative way I came up with to be generous with my time to the people who are most important to me. And so what I did is I would schedule one Saturday a month with Lisa, one Saturday a month with Tommy. 
And again, when I first started it, they were like, oh, I don't want to do this. I made the mistake of telling my daughter she was going to have a date with daddy. She's like, that's gross. I'm not having a date with my father. I said, I'm sorry. I'll use a different term. But when I told her we could do whatever she wanted to do, oh, she was better with it. And that Saturday, this is what it meant. We would start with breakfast and we'd be home in time for dinner. And what we did in between was up to them. I'd do anything they wanted to do. Now, for Lisa, more often than not, that meant a trip to the mall. We were going to go shopping all day. Right? And I told her, she said, this is our deal. I said, I will sit outside that dressing room and I will, I will watch and be excited about every outfit you, you try on. I said, but I have my limits, okay? I said, if you need a bather suit or underwear, you better go shopping with your mother. I said, I don't, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with that. Okay, Dad. And when my son, I found out with him, if we started the day with breakfast at McDonald's and he could get that big breakfast, he didn't care what we did the rest of the day. He loved it. And we did that for a long time. And it got to the point where they were excited about it. They said, Dad, when is my Saturday? And they knew. I mean, we would spend hours together. right? We'd spend a good seven, six, seven, maybe eight hours together throughout the day. And they knew at some point during the day I was going to speak into their lives. I wasn't going to use the line share, but I was going to take a 10-minute slice, probably in the car as we were driving from or to somewhere, and I would speak into their life. I would tell them I loved them. I would tell them I'm proud of them. I'd speak destiny into them. I'd tell them to discover what their passion is and to go after that. And I can look back now, and Lisa's 29 and Tommy's 27, and they've both followed their dreams. And they're both doing the things that they feel like God's called them to do. And I have a great relationship with both of them today. And I think I'm reaping today for what I sown back then. Be generous with your time. It's your time. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But I also found this, that I was generous with my time with Nadine. And I would plan at least one date night a month with my wife. And I would plan it, guys. I would arrange the babysitter. I'd figure out where we were going, what we were going to do. It was a way to honor her, tell her that she's valuable to me. Even still, if we have some special occasion, Nadine loves when I put forethought into it. She doesn't want me to show up at the last minute on my way driving home, I picked up a card. That doesn't communicate to her that I care. But if days ahead of time, I bought the tickets or I made the reservation, ah, now she really appreciates it. It expresses to her, it speaks her love language that I care about her. So I, I would plan one day, night a month. And sometimes we could go to a movie or maybe have dinner. Those are some pretty lean years for us. A lot of date nights was a bag of microwave popcorn and snuggling on the couch <laughs> watching a movie rental. You know, threatening the kids with death if they interrupted us with anything less important than the house is on fire. <laughs> but we'd have that one date night a month. And because I know my wife likes spontaneous, not only did we plan the one date night a month, I would look for the opportunities where there was a, a chance that we could do something spontaneously together. And so a lot of times we were able to have one and a half or two dates a month. I look back now, it's 20 years. There's, there's been reward for that investment. Because this is what Nadine and I have learned. You know, we've traveled all across the United States for ministry. 
And our kids live 3,000 miles away now. And we've made amazing friendships. We've met some of the most incredible people everywhere that we've gone. But this is what I've learned. And married couples, listen to me. Nadine and I are empty nesters now. Right? This is what we learned. They all go away. Everybody, everybody, even your children, eventually go away. I better like her. I better like her because she's the only one that stayed. <laughs> she's the only one that's come with me everywhere that we've gone. Now, we have great friends here. We have great friends everywhere. Those relationships still have been sustained. Don't get me wrong. But she, that pretty lady in the back there, we've been dating 35 years, is the only one that stayed. I better like her because at some point, everybody else goes away. And you know how that happens? Is that you're generous with your time. You invest what's more priceless than, than gold. It's your time with one another. <clears throat> we actually enjoy being together. We do really well as empty nesters. I have friends whose nest is empty and their worlds are crumbling because they never invested into their relationship with one another. And it's sad to see. There's this big gaping hole. There's one older couple I could think of right after their youngest child was married. It was only a couple of months. The house was empty. They had to have one of the, one of the nephews come and move in and live with them. <laughs> they, needed, they, they didn't like each other very much. They both needed to be able to focus on the third party. <laughs> it got them through it. But I got to tell you what, this is so much better. Yeah. So those small investments of time over time have paid off big time. I've reaped so much more than I've sown. So be generous with your time. I know it's your most precious commodity, but it's an incredible way to honor another person. It's an incredible way to love another human being is to give them your time. And this is what I recommend. Start with the people who are closest to you, your spouse, your children, your extended family, your closest friends. Give them your time. You won't, you won't regret it. So in summary, as I finish this series on living love, under the, under the topic of honor, there are three ways I think that we can honor and love one another. And the first one is to listen, no strings attached. The next time you have a conversation with them, someone, give them the whole floor. Listen to them until they have nothing left to say. Boy, that's extravagant love. Random act of kindness. Just have your, turn your radar on. How can I rock somebody's world today? And if I could do it anonymously, all the better. Just do a simple little thing. To bless another person. And then generosity. There's lots of ways we could be generous. Our time, our energy, and our money. But today I want to focus on being generous with our time. I have learned from the, the practical investments in my own life. How profitable it's been. How effective it's been. Now I share these things with you today. Not to give you some new rules to follow a new hopes to jump, jump through, but rather 
as practical examples to hopefully inspire you on how, tangible ways, practical ways, on how we can love one another. I want to prime your pump, as it were. <laughs> so let's pray. So, interesting. Just as I said, let's pray. I could feel in like three or four parts of the room that pain rose up. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters who are here this morning who are in pain. I don't know what's going on in their lives, but it just feels like, it just really feels like some of them are dealing with painful issues. So, Father, I ask that in your mercy and in your kindness that you would stretch forth your powerful, mighty right hand, and would you touch that painful place? Lord, I don't know if it's physical pain because something's wrong in their body or a, a relationship that's broken, but Lord, would you touch the pain and would you resolve the source of the pain for them and take the pain away? Lord, I pray for Charlottetown Community Church. Would you make us a group of people who very effectively love one another? Let Above everything else, let the testimony of this church be ah, how they love one another. Make us known as the place that this is where you come when you want to be loved. Make us so good at loving one another that that's how we would be known. Would you do that in our midst? Lord, I pray that you would create a culture, an atmosphere of love. We know that we're loved by you and drawing from that endless well. We would effectively love one another. Make it so, God. Lord, I believe that for this church, you have a purpose. There's a reason why we're here. There's a reason why you've assembled us and why we exist. I'm not even sure we're fully aware of what that destiny is, but Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, <laughs> with our help, in spite of us, if need be, help us reach and fulfill that destiny. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, we love you guys. It's really great, especially after missing last Sunday to have everybody all together. Anybody's free tonight want to come out to FaithWorks? I am speaking there at 6 o'clock. Otherwise, I love you guys. Have a great day. Where is FaithWorks? I can give you the address. Loyalist Road, right?